99 is where we'll kick off tonight. Psalm 99. So we're going to talk about, we're still in the Psalms, one more Psalm dealing with uh, the king and the king's reign and uh, um, gosh, really this particular Psalm dealing with uh, the awesomeness of his throne and uh, the justice of his throne and the grace of his throne. So he begins with this phrase, says, the Lord reigns. Again, we see capital L-O-R-D, right? So we know we're talking about God's uh, proper name, Y-H-V-H, Yahweh, uh, Yehovah, the Lord reigns. And then he has this interesting phrase, let's look at it. Let the people's trouble, he dwells between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. Now what is it that God's trying to let us know? Okay, so when we look at it, he dwells between the cherubim. And remember, when the, when the Lord had the children of Israel build the Ark of the Covenant, you guys with me, the Ark is simply the box. That's the Ark. Square box. Uh, made of, of uh, wood overlaid with gold. Symbolizing, when we look at it, the symbolizing, the wood symbolizes that which is alive, which is covered with divinity. It kind of gives a foreshadowing of the concept of God becoming flesh. Now, in that box, what's placed? We got the, the two tablets of the law, right? What, 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 what did man do with that? He broke it, right? Moses had to get two of them. So he comes down, they put the tablets in the, in the ark. Those go in the ark. A bowl of manna, remember? A bowl of manna they place in, inside of, uh, of the ark in the box. Manna, God always referred to as bread from heaven. When we come into the New Testament, Jesus is going to say that he is the true bread from heaven. Your fathers ate bread from heaven in the wilderness, but they called it manna. What's this? And when people looked at Christ, when he came to present himself to the people, what did they look at him like? What's this? What's this goes in the box. Then you have a rebellion, the rebellion of Korah. At which time, Korah is trying to say, well, why should Aaron and Moses lead us? You know, let's have a popular vote, and uh, you know, whoever gets the most votes leads. And so they say, well, what, what about what God's chosen? What if this is God's chosen leader? Well, how will we know that? So God told Moses, take all the people who think they want to be leaders, tell them to take their rods and place them in the, in the tabernacle. The next day, go in and take the rods out, and you'll know which one I've chosen. So he goes in, and he picks up, Korah's and all the other guys' rods, just the same as when they laid them down. They pick up Aaron's rod, and it had budded, brought forth blossoms from almonds. Almond blossoms came out on his rod. So God said, I chose him. And just to make sure there was not going to be any more of this, the earth opens up and swallows up all our guys who are rebels. So God's not into rebellion. Closes up. So what goes in the box? Aaron's rod that buds. Every one of the symbols that you look at that was placed in the box is a symbol of man's failure. Man not honoring that which God had given, bread from heaven. Man not keeping God's required law. Man rebelling against God's rule and authority. So all of these things are in the box. That's the ark. Okay, that's the ark. But then, out of hammered gold, they were to make the lid. 
The lid out of hammered gold is, I've shared with you before, the Greek word is hilasterion. It is the mercy seat. Now on top of the mercy seat, you have two cherubim looking down like they're ready to judge. Okay, I want you to picture it. They're looking down like, what are they looking at? They're looking at all the failures of man. How many angels does it take to take care of God's justice if people don't honor the Lord, don't treat God as though He's holy, don't give Him the reverence He deserves? How many angels would it take? One, really. There's twice as many on the mercy seat. So there are two looking down. And so out of this hammered work, they would place that over. And once a year, what do they do? They had at Yom Kippur an offering that was given and they would sprinkle blood between the cherubim. And that blood covered the failure of the people. Now, when he comes to this psalm and he says, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. Why are they trembling? Because of the next phrase. He dwells between the cherubim. He's in the gap. Standing between judgment and the the mankind he sits he's the judge he's the authority so let the earth be moved let the earth tremble let the earth recognize the glory of the king because god is going to come god is going to judge and recognizing him as our sovereign as our lord is an important thing it helps us really have our head on the way we want to have our head on straight not backwards So, the Lord reigns. He's between the cherubim. So the reason we come to the New Testament, the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ has become our propitiation. You know that word is hilasterion. He's become our mercy seat. He sits between the cherubim. His blood was sprinkled in that place to forgive the sins of mankind, to cover the failure once and for all time. So he's saying, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yehovah is between the cherubim. Yehovah is between them. So look what it says in verse 2. The Lord, again, capital L-O-R-D, is great in Zion. Remember I told you Zion is God's chosen place. I don't know why, but he picked Zion. He picked it way back before there was ever an Israel. He picked Zion. Just so happens that that's where Jerusalem is today. So he says the Lord is great in Zion and he is high above all the peoples, the word for peoples, goyim. He's high above all the nations. He's high above the Gentiles. He's transcendent. He's bigger than we can imagine. He's greater than we can imagine. He's, he's better. I was going to say gooder, but that's not a word. So he's better than we can imagine. He has more love than we can imagine. He also has more wrath than we can imagine. More justice, more honor, more truth. All of the attributes of God. God is not like a part of truth and a part of justice and a part of mercy and a part of love he's all love all mercy all truth all justice all wrath all all of his attributes are total and complete so what makes him transcendent a a, a little bit beyond our ability to fully comprehend to really be able to grasp with all that god is but that's what he's saying here i'm transcendent high above the people I'm high above, I'm I'm beyond your reasoning. Verse 3, so let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. 
Let us praise your great and awesome name. Remember we talked about the name. Yahweh. What's it mean? God is the becoming one. I am what you need. I am what you need. The scripture tells us that God has created our hearts with a hole in it. You know how the scripture says that? It says he has placed eternity in your heart. Eternity in your heart, that's a, that's a big place, right? That's long, wide, it don't fit. It's a space, it's an emptiness, it's a hole in our lives that, that is drawing us toward him. To say that, but we can fill it with whatever, whatever we choose, we fill it. We get to choose, we get to say, I choose this, I choose this. So he's saying, look, I've, I've done this, I'm transcendent, I'm above, but he's calling us to praise his name because he is what we need. He's what we're lacking. And he is holy. The word holy uh, simply means set apart. He's other. He's different. He's not like everybody else. He's not like anything else. He is holy. Then he goes on in verse 4 to describe this throne. Not only is it this awesome throne, but it's it's a just throne. Look at it. The king's strength also loves justice. The king's strength also loves justice. Now, what king are we talking about? Well, we we discovered that in the first verse. Who is it that reigns? The Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. So we're talking about God. God is king. So the king's strength also loves justice. God doesn't, God doesn't thrive or bless or, or love the way the earth is all knotted up. But he's got a purpose and a plan to take us from where we are to a place of justice. And God will do that work. This is God's desire. This is how God would see a reign. How someone would reign. <clears throat> you have established equity. The Bible tells us that God is not a uh, um, respecter of persons. Everybody has the same standing before God. Not one person's higher or one person's lower. How many are sinners? All, right? So that gets us all covered. So if we're all sinners, we all have the same standing before God. The Bible tells us that standing before God places us as children of disobedience under God's wrath. Everybody's in that place. That's why when you go somewhere like John, and you read John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world, He's loving all the children of disobedience who are under His wrath. And He's providing for them... And out. What's he out? I put my wrath on my son. You put your faith in him. I'll cover your sin. I'll make you as righteous as he is. He will impute his righteousness to us. He has established equity. It's equal. Everybody the same place. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Why do you say that? Well, it's interesting because sometimes we work our way through the Bible. God will refer to the nation of Israel in two ways. That he'll call him Jacob. He'll call him Israel. What is it that we remember about Jacob? Knucklehead, deceiver, liar, cheat. So usually when God is referring to the nation of Israel as Jacob, he's referring to Jacob 
because of Israel's sin. They're twisted, they're messed up, they're, they're blowing it. So he calls them Jacob. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Look, no, God will not overlook any sin. Ever. He don't overlook it. He hates it. He hates it all. He hates it all. He will execute justice and righteousness. That's what he's declaring. I'll I'll execute. He wants justice in Jacob. So what's he saying in verse 5? So so because of that, exalt the Lord our God. Exalt him. Lift him up. One of the things that Jesus said is that unless the Son of Man is lifted up, we're all lost. But he says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. When we exalt the Lord. How is it that we exalt the Lord? That we recognize what he says about himself is true. Is the word of God true? Is what he says in the word of God true? Is what he's describing here true? Is it absolute? Is the Lord saying, look, I have made all men equal before me. I'm the judge and I have a just throne. And everyone will give account justice and righteousness for all of Jacob. And we get right down to it. We're all Jacob. So the response to that throne, exalt the Lord, lift him up, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. The Bible calls often the the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the Temple, uh, Jerusalem, are all used as the Lord's footstool, the place where he sets his feet. That's his place, his spot, his place within creation. But then he moves on to the grace the throne of grace, his gracious throne. Look at verse 6. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. And Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, Yahweh, and he answered them. So what happened? When it says that they called upon him, the word in the Hebrew that they're using is a word of intercession. What is it that Moses, Aaron, and Samuel all had in, in common? They interceded for the people. They would go to the Lord, the king, and pray for the people. Pray for the people, and what did it say? They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. How did he answer them? He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar, and they kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. So as they are interceding, and as they're calling on the name of the Lord, they have a desire, because of their love for God, to be obedient. To follow what he says. When we look at the word of God, one of the challenging things for us is trying to reconcile with where my faith takes place. You know, that which brings salvation, brings justification. We're justified by faith. So my faith brings that into my life. But isn't my life supposed to change? And I've heard it described, and I think accurately so, when you come to Christ... It's like getting hit by a truck. If you got hit by a truck and you walked up to a friend and said, I got hit by a truck today. You ought to look like you got hit by a truck. Yeah? If you look just like you did the day before, you didn't get hit by a truck, did you? It's some of the same thing. If Christ is residing within you, you can't still live in the same sinful lifestyle. It's got to change. I don't. I didn't say you won't struggle, but you can't live in it. You can't stay in that place. You say, oh, you know what? I got to get right. 
I got to get right. I got to get out of this situation. I got to be right before God. And that is what it means. That they spoke, God spoke to them, and he kept his testimony. The things God told them, they were obedient. They were obedient to his word. You answered them, O Lord our God, in verse 8. You were to them God who forgives. Remember, that's the whole point. Why is God sitting between the cherubim? What is God's desire? When God wants to forgive. The Bible is very clear. It says God does not glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would repent and live. So what's God want? Repentance. Is there a way to have salvation without repentance? No. You can't have it. You pray whatever prayer you want. If you don't repent, if you don't come to God as a sinner broken in need of repentance, then you haven't come to the Lord. You repent, change your direction, now you're with Him. Now you move with Him. Now you go with Him. And for you, He is God who forgives. Though He took vengeance on their deeds. Is there still uh, consequences that are a result of our choices? So, we all have choices. Our choices all really do matter. It doesn't even make any difference what your view is in terms of the sovereignty of God. doesn't matter. Your choices matter. They have weight. Real circumstances, real consequences come as a result of our choices. Bible teaches that all over the place, right? Choose this day who you will serve. So man must choose. Man must follow. But if man sins, there's a day of recompense. There's a day where we pay. There's a day where God takes vengeance on the deeds of the sinner. Everybody gets their 15 minutes in front of the King of Kings, if it takes that long. Everybody gets that, that moment. And the Bible declares that everyone who stands before the King will say, Right and true are your judgments, O God. Because He's right and true. The only way we can know right, we can know true. The only way we know beauty... The only way we understand the things that we understand in the world is through God. Because He's the author of it all. So He's the one. It's through an understanding of Him that we come to understand what's really beautiful. It's through an understanding of Him that we come to understand what love is. It's through understanding Him that we come to understand what justice is. We learn about those things by learning about Who God is. He is the ultimate source for all those things. So then what's the response to the gracious throne? The same. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. What was His holy hill? Zion. Another name for Zion. Mount Moriah. What happened on Mount Moriah? Oh, come on. The temple's on Mount Moriah. Abraham offered his uh, son at Mount Moriah. And Jesus died on the cross. At Golgotha, which is the same mountain, Mount Moriah. Where the temple is to where Golgotha is, the thing that separates the two of those is the quarry that dug out all the stone to flatten the temple mount. So we look at it, we see his holy hill. This is a place where God has decided to set his throne. His throne is awesome. His throne is just. And his throne is willing to forgive whatever man is willing to repent. You'll never find a 
place in Scripture where someone wanted to repent and was not able to. You won't find a place. You won't find a place. If a man comes to God and wants to repent, he will repent. Okay, Bible does tell us that Esau sought repentance with tears, but there was no place found for it. Why was there no place found for the repentance of Esau? Esau, the repentance there that the Bible's using for Esau, is he was sorry he sold his birthright. He wanted to change that. He'd like to have got that, that back because he wanted more. He wanted the things, all the things that Jacob took from him. But it was God's purpose that Jacob had those things. And he couldn't have them. Once they were gone, they were gone. But it wasn't a repentance of, Lord, I want to be right with you. Lord, I want to be in the right place with you. That's not the kind of repentance that Esau sought, that Esau looked for. And so we go on. We go on to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is uh, the psalm that I read before every uh, wedding. Every wedding ceremony, I read this psalm. Starts with this. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Make, you guys heard, uh, make a joyful noise? You guys know what that means? It doesn't mean sing even if you have a terrible voice. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean don't sing if you have a terrible voice. It doesn't, it's irrelevant. But the idea of a joyful noise. The, the closest thing I've I seen a documentary recently about when President Obama was, was uh, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say inoculated, but that wasn't it. Inaugurated. Man, it's one of them days. So when he's inaugurated, he gives his speech, right? And all the people out there start shouting, Obama, Obama. A joyful shout or a joyful noise is to raise your voices and just do exactly what it says. You shout, you shout out for joy at the joy of the king, at the joy of the one that you're worshiping, at the joy of the one that, that you're proclaiming in that, at that time. So when it says make a joyful shout, that's what it's talking about. To who? To the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. There is already one king. We don't need a new king. Right? So we make a joyful shout to the Lord. How many people? All the lands. That, that count everybody? All the lands is all the lands. So he wants all the people. Give a joyful shout. How do we do this joyful shout? How do we do this worship? Look what he's going to say in verse 2. He says, serve the Lord how? With gladness. Remember when we talk about Mary and Martha, what was Martha's problem? It wasn't that she was serving. What was her problem? She couldn't be glad about it because she was bitter because Mary wasn't doing it with her. Right? So when we serve the Lord, we serve the Lord with gladness. Because it's for Him. Not, we don't want to be a Peter wondering what's going to happen to John. What's going to happen to him? Peter, what do you care what happens to him? You come follow me or you don't. It's me and you. Not me, you, and somebody else. So we keep our eyes off of others. We serve the Lord with gladness. And come before His presence with singing. Now these two, these two uh, phrases are linked. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence. They're linked. 
This is how worship takes place. We serve the Lord with gladness that enters us into, or we enter into his presence as a result with singing. With singing. Remember I told you praise erupts spontaneously out of the mouth of someone who loves someone else. If you love God, praise comes out of your mouth. If you don't love God, praise don't come out of your mouth. If you love your wife, praise comes out of your mouth. If you don't love your wife, something else comes out. So what we're saying is, what you love, you praise, right? What you love, you praise. And so he can come to his presence with singing. Now, how is this? What is it that brings us into a place of thanksgiving before the Lord? What is it that does? Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. So how is it that we come into praise and worship? You got to know the Lord. You got to know that the Lord, He is God. He is God of all the universe. Know the Lord, Yahweh, that, that only thing that can fill that eternity in the heart of mankind, that He is God. He's the Almighty. What else do we need to know? The prerequisites to praise. We got to know God. What else? It is He who made us. We got to know He's the Creator. He made us, He knows how we work, He knows what keeps us together. So He's the Creator. It's He who made us. And not we ourselves. We didn't make ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So we're his sheep, he's the shepherd. So what does that mean about God? Knowing God. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. Doesn't the Bible say that, that he holds us together? Hebrews 1.3, Colossians 1.16. Both of those scriptures tell us that God's holding us together. We have our Sustenance, our consistence in Him. He holds us together. He also is our provider. Doesn't the shepherd feed the sheep? Lead them to green pastures? Take care of them? So, He's our provider. What else? Isn't He the protector? The protector of the sheep? So it says, if we're going to worship God, the prerequisite of praise, we got to know Yahweh is God. we got to know He's the Creator. We got to know he's our sustainer. We got to know he's our provider. We got to know he's our protector. And if we know those things, it's not so hard to praise him. It's not so hard to praise him for the things, the, the events that are going on in our lives. So, that being true, verse 4 happens. So, we know those things. What happens? So, we enter into whose gate? So, we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. How come we're able to give thanksgiving? Because we know Him. We know what He's doing for us. We know who He is to us. And we enter into whose courts? So they're His courts. We enter into His courts with praise. Remember, same deal. Praise comes out of the mouth of one who loves another. So we love God. Praise comes out of our mouth. So then what is it telling us? Be thankful to Him. And bless His name. Remember what the name is? I am the becoming one. Thank you, God, that you are everything I need. Everything I need in my life can be found in you. For the Lord is what? Good. That's God's omnibenevolence. Omnibenevolence. It's synonymous with saying that God is love. God is good. He's all good things. Not most good things, not some good things. He's all good things. Every good thing in our life comes from who? Father in heaven, right? So, so God brings us every 
good thing. So he tells us the Lord is good. His mercy is how long? How long is that? That's a long time, right? So his mercy is eternal. His mercy is eternal. He's all good, all merciful, and all truth. And his truth endures to all generation. It's all truth. God don't lie. God don't lie. He tells the truth. He is the truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the, and the life. Right? No man comes to the Father except through me. All right, we got time. Let's look at it. Psalm 101. Oh, you're crazy. We have done two. We're about to do three. Uh, I'm not done yet. Don't get too excited. <laughs> okay, so Psalm 101. Now we have a king's resolve. We're talking about King David. And King David is saying in this psalm, I want to be a king like God. I want, to, I want to reflect him rightly. I want to reflect him in my life. So this is his psalm to say, this is how I want to, this is how I see God and how I want to express him in how I behave as king. So, so we take a look at the beginning. The truth in the ruler. Let's look at it. I will, it's an act of will from the king, I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord, capital L-O-R-D, I will sing praises. So he's saying, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing of your mercy and your justice. O Lord, I will sing praises. And here's his choices. I, I, I will sing. That's the first thing he says he's going to do. I will sing. I will sing of mercy and justice, and I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. And what does that mean? I will behave wisely in a perfect way. In a perfect way. Whenever we look at that concept of a perfect way, we want to see it as one way. Not We're not a multi-lane highway. The one day I feel like going this way, the next day I feel like going that way. We're going one way. Undivided. Straight. I want to go perfect. I want to... I want to be mature, mature in the idea that we are headed in the same direction. We're all going together. So he says, I will behave wisely. Why? Because God is all wise. Scripture tells us. So what's he say? I want to behave wisely so that I can walk in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? His, his desire is to be with God. His desire is to be with him. But in the meantime, he says... What, what, what is it that he's saying as a king? I will sing a mercy. I will sing praises to God. I will behave wisely. And then next one, verse 2, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. A mature heart. Undivided heart. What was David known for? A man how? A man after God's own heart. What, what was that saying? His heart was to be undivided. In other words, the highest source of value in his heart was for God. God has the throne. He's the chief. He's in that position. So he's saying, look, I, I want to have a perfect heart, undivided heart. So what's he going to do? I will sing a mercy. I will sing praise. I will behave wisely because God is wise. And I will walk with an undivided heart because God's heart is not divided. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is divided. No, that's not what it says. What does it say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, undivided. Undivided. So he's undivided. Then he says in verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. So I want to be a good king. God, I want to be a king like you. So I'm not going to put nothing wicked before my eyes. If you're king, you can do whatever you want. But David's saying, I don't want to put anything wicked before my eyes. I don't want to put anything wicked before my eyes that's going to cause me to stumble or fall, have a difficult time, or would lead to my heart being divided, or would lead to me behaving unwisely. So I'm not going to set anything wicked before my eyes. Then the next one. I hate those, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So not only are we supposed to, not only are we supposed to love justice and mercy and God and good and, and love the Lord, not only are we supposed to do those things, but we're supposed to hate evil. We love God, we hate evil. So that's what he's saying. Look, I'm not gonna I'm I'm gonna hate the work. He didn't say, I'm going to hate them. He said, I'm going to hate the work. I hate the things they do that are in, in disobedience to God, that are going in the opposite direction of God. I hate those things that they do. <clears throat> I don't want it to cling to me. Then in verse 4, the next thing he says he'll do, a perverse heart shall depart from me. A perverse heart. So somebody else comes over, visiting King David has a perverse heart. David says, I'm going to put him out. What fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship? There ain't none. Gosh, for the last 2,000 years, people have been trying to prove that that's not true. But God's word's true. And every man's a liar. I have not met one yet that's not. God's word says, What fellowship is there with light with darkness? So a perverse heart shall depart from me. I shall not know wickedness. So these are all the things he's saying. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing of mercy and justice. I'm going to sing uh, praises to God. I'll behave wisely. I will walk within my house with an undivided heart. I will put nothing wicked before my eyes. I'll hate the work of those who fall away. A perverse heart will not come close to me. I shall not know wickedness. So this is the resolve of the king. His desire. This is what I want as a king. This is what I want as I come into my throne. But a king is also going to have a court. So the next verses, 5 through 8, are dealing with the king's court. So we not only do, is he asking for, for truth in the king, but he's asking for truth within his ranks. So, what's he say there? Whoever, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Yeah, that's gossip. That's what it means to secretly slander. That means you, you have uh, roasted someone else's character without that person being present. That's what slander is. So you, you've roasted someone's character. He says, look, I'm not going to have gossip on my, in my ranks. No gossip. There'll be truth. Next, the one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. So he's going to put out gossip. He's going to put out pride. No gossip, no pride. Verse 6, my eyes shall be on the faithful of the land. So what's he looking for? Those who are faithful and those who are true. True and faithful, they will be there. 
that they may dwell with me. And he who walks in a perfect way. Now that's what he had just said before. He wants to walk a perfect path. He wants to be undivided. One way, one direction. Headed toward the Lord. God is his desire. And in verse 7 he says, He who works deceit. Oh, that's like manipulation. He whose purpose is by deceit, manipulating the scene to try to bring about whatever result they want. So he who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. <laughs> he who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. So people who are constantly lying, liars, he wants to put those out. Put them away from his presence. And then he says in verse 8, this is what he's going to do. So he's got his his throne, this are his resolve, this resolution, this is who I'm going to be. This is who my ranks are going to be. And then what's he do? He says, this is how we'll rule. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So what's he saying? My goal as king is to keep the wicked out and to be just. Isn't that what you want for a king? Somebody who will keep the wicked out and someone who is just and righteous. That was the desire of David as he comes into his throne, as he comes in uh, to his throne to rule and reign. He wanted to be like God, be a king like God. He wanted to have people who cared about God around him. And that's one of the reasons why he's considered uh, one of the greatest kings in the nation of Israel. And the author of the majority of the Psalms. Amen? We got an opportunity today for a baptism tonight. So if the water doesn't overflow soon, we will... (laughs) 